Welcome to Stuff We Love Podcast. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stuff We Love Podcast. I am Scott, and I'm happy to be joined again tonight by our friend Dan. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, Scott. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, for our listeners that are new to the show, Dan joins me on, I think, almost every music episode that we do here on the podcast. Last episode, the holiday playlist one, our schedules conflicted and, and you weren't able to join us, but you're certainly here for every Beatles episode. And tonight we're going to be talking about a musical gift that the world received, I guess, what is it, a week ago? Less than a week ago from when we're recording this, less which than is the, yep. less than a week ago, which is Paul McCartney's latest album, McCartney 3. We're going to do a review of that album and get into it. Uh, but before we get to that, let me begin by uh, asking you, Dan, as I do on all of our 2020 episodes, how you been? How you holding up? What's going on? Doing all right. Holding up well, you know, as best as we can. Um, you know, happy to be uh, at the end of the year um, saying goodbye to 2020 and hoping 2021 is a, is a better year for all of us. Agree with that sentiment. And before we get to McCartney 3, I wanted to ask you a couple of music-related questions, uh, because you weren't here on the uh, Holiday Playlist episode. One of the controversial moments of that show was when I put the song Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney on my Holiday Playlist. And Joe uh, said that he hates that song. <laughs> and uh, I, I wanted to ask you, I don't know if I've ever talked with you about this, what is your take on Wonderful Christmas Time? Um, that's a good question. So, you know, one of the things that that soured me on it and it's, it's not the fault of the song or, um, or 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 Paul or anything like that but you know I I worked in um in restaurants uh you know when 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 I was in college and uh you know you'd get back then you didn't have serious radio or any of that stuff so it's just a CD that the corporate office sent over and they'd play it on loop right and uh wonderful Christmas time was a staple of that CD so if you worked a double shift, which during the holiday season, I worked plenty of double shifts, you'd hear it about 56 times during the course of your day. And after a while, it would, um, it would, it would get to you a little sure. bit. Um, but the song itself, you know, it's a, it, it's a catchy pop holiday song. I mean, is it great lyrically? Um, not really. Right. Uh, is it, is it great musically? I mean, it's a lot of synth and, whatnot but um but it, it shows one of the things that um that makes paul great and he's just a gifted pop songwriter and he can write melodies that get stuck in your head right. i think that's probably the reason why most people that say they hate that song hate that song because you hear it and then you're walking around for four days right you know, over and over again over and over again singing it so um i i personally like it i don't know if i would have put it on my list Okay, but um, but but I don't have a problem with Wonderful Christmas Time. I enjoy it. And am I correct that is a Lawrence Juber guitar solo in that track? Yes, yes, because this was still, um, this was in the in the waning days of Wings. Right. For yeah, our so listeners, this, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. So this was recorded, I think, around the same time as the uh, Back to the Egg sessions and um, Good Night Tonight. Uh, Daytime, nighttime suffering, that whole area. Yes. And for our listeners who don't know who Lawrence Juber is, we may have mentioned him on the podcast before. He was the oh, guitarist in the final iteration of Wings, and he has had a successful solo guitar career. He, and he's released several Beatles album covers and one Wings album cover. He's fantastic to, uh, to he's listen fantastic. to. It just yeah. defies any explanation how talented he is. 
it's it's a shame that um, we didn't get more out of that lineup because I think that would have been a pretty a pretty cool lineup. Um, yeah. Had we heard more than just one album, but I like that album. Back to the Egg is one of my favorite Wings albums. I, I do like Back to the Egg too. I, I like a lot of the tracks on it. I like uh, Getting Closer, mm-hmm. um, and I like Arrow Through Me. Me too. That's one of my that's one of my top McCartney. Um, yeah, Old Sir Siam. I I I like that one. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of it. the rockestra stuff is interesting. They had this ability in that format to really do these heavy rockers like uh, rockestra, for example, which of course had a larger group beyond the immediate wings group. But um, getting closer as a rock song, spinning on was a good rocker. Mm-hmm. But they also could do these great ballads like uh, Winter Rose on that album is a yeah. beautiful song, tender mm-hmm. track. Um, something else I wanted to ask you before we get to McCartney three. On the holiday playlist episode, my stuff we love choice was the recent Bee Gees documentary on HBO. Did you see that? I haven't seen it yet, but it's on my list of things to watch, especially uh, over my winter break. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be checking it out. You would love it. Uh, I, I've told our listeners they would love it. Let me ask you this question: What just gut instinct right now? If I said to you favorite Bee Gees song, what do you say? How deep is your love? Me too. <laughs> it's like a, it's like. A, <laughs> It's such a great song. It's, it's so it's a great, great. great song. And yep. one of the, without giving too much away, the moment in the documentary where they talk about that track and the recording of that song, I thought was one of the most emotional moments in any music documentary I've seen and uh, really conveyed the, uh, how should I say this? The emotional significance for those that worked on the track because they knew right. they were doing something that was unique. You don't, I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think people that work in the business on the recording side of things, they know when they're recording something that's good. They have a good sense of it at this point. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, when you're working on something fantastic and certainly how deep is your love is one of those types of tracks to me and to you. It's yeah. a, that's awesome for our listeners. We did not plan that. That was totally no, that uh, was not planned. BG that was like that was like a that was like a stepbrothers moment, you know, out <laughs> of three. Do we just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of stepbrothers, there's a clothing company I like. They've actually been a Stuff We Love segment for me before. Roosevelt is the name of the company. They do a lot of pop culture shirts. I bought something on Black Friday from them, and they sent me stepbrothers wrapping paper for the holidays. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. Um, Dan, so here we are. This is going to be the Stuff We Love podcast's final episode of 2020. And it seems right that we're doing a Beatles-related episode episode this is a mccartney episode but it falls into that beatles category i want i would like to begin this segment uh can you give our listeners that are not familiar just a a brief summary of mccartney one and mccartney two and why this is mccartney three what is what were mccartney one and two all about well i mean it's really a true trilogy of albums um i mean starting at the very basic that they were all recorded in um at the beginning of decades McCartney one was in 1970, uh, McCartney two 40 years ago in 1980, and now we have McCartney three in 2020. Um, all of them were recorded at some transitional part in Paul's life. Um, so when he's recording McCartney one, or just McCartney, um, which for those of you who uh, may not be familiar just by you know us referring to it, uh, you know, Paul album covers, it's the one with the spilled bowl of cherries on the front of it. Um, he was started recording that 
shortly after uh, the Beatles had not broken up yet, but John had privately told them in September of 1969 that he was leaving the group. Um, so for all intents and purposes, they were reduced to a trio. Uh, they weren't really sure where they were going from there. And Paul hit this kind of, um, this period of, of, of being very depressed, not sure what was going to happen, where he was going to go, how he would be able to exist without the group. And it was in this, um, in this environment, in his home in St. John's Wood in London, that he started to record songs. And the songs that he recorded at his home were, would become um, McCartney One. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, McCartney One is one of those albums that when it came out, um, a lot of critics panned it with the exception of Maybe I'm Amazed, which was the standout track on it. Um, over the years, it, it has aged pretty well. Um, it's gotten a lot more accolades, accolades which I feel it deserves. It inspired a whole lot of um, musicians, especially those that were doing the do-it-yourself kind of production, um, early punk movement kind of stuff where people didn't, you know, have access to a studio, so they would record it, you know, in their basement with what they had kind of deal. Uh, McCartney 3 came out in 1980. Um, this was McCartney 2, McCartney 2. Oh, sorry, McCartney 2, yes. <laughs> McCartney 2 came out in 1980, um, and that was uh, when Paul was kind of in limbo, not sure whether he wanted to continue on with Wings. He had just dealt with uh, being in prison in Japan for the uh, marijuana um, instance there. Um, and he would eventually, uh, you know, uh, disband Wings a, a year, well, six months later. But McCartney too, too was just him in his home trying to figure out what he was going to do in the future. And playing with his new uh, his new toys that he had, which is a lot of electronic instruments, synthesizers. Um, uh, coming up, the, the studio version, um, which I read recently was actually uh, the song that got John back into the studio to do. That's true. Um, yep, to do uh, Double Fantasy, and that he preferred, John preferred the studio version of coming up to the live version. Did you read that, by the way, in Ken Womack's book, John Lennon, uh, 1980, his most recent book. Did you read that? Yes. Is that where yeah, that's where yes, I read it yeah. too. It was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Great, yeah, it's, it's great book. Great book. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Um, and, uh, and the other big one on that was uh, Waterfalls was the big track. Um, and now, 40 years later, we have McCartney 3, um, which he recorded in the midst of this whole COVID pandemic and quarantine and lockdown. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised what are you going to do if you're Paul McCartney and you're on lockdown and quarantined? You're probably going to make music. <laughs> and that's, that's what he did. He made, uh, he made music and he gave us another great, another great album. When it comes to McCartney too, that happens to be my least favorite Paul album. I have to be honest with you. And there is stuff on there. I like, I like waterfalls. I'm not crazy about the studio version of coming up. I much prefer the live version uh, from Glasgow, right? That's where the uh, live version was from. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, I like one of these days. There's tracks on there I like. It's just, it's, it's to me, my least favorite album. McCartney One is an album that probably wouldn't make the top 10 in terms of Paul Soul albums, but I love it. It's uh, certainly maybe I'm amazed and every night, man, we was lonely. I mean, junk, sing along junk. It's so lovely, Linda. It's yeah. a lot of good tracks. Um, where do you rank those albums in your Paul catalog? Um, so 
McCartney 2 is not a favorite. Um, not big on it. I, too, prefer the live version of Coming Up uh, yes. to the studio version. Actually, I actually think the standout track on McCartney 2 is Waterfalls. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's uh, probably the most accessible um, track on the album. Uh, it's just, you know, we're really seeing the, on, on McCartney 2 the experimental side of Paul which he always had. He, he doesn't get the credit for being, you know, the experimental Beatle. Right. Uh, because we didn't hear a lot of what he kind of played with. But, uh, but he was. He was into doing tape loops and stuff like that and sound collages along the lines of uh, Revolution 1, or Revolution 9, I should say, before mm-hmm. John was. Right. Um, so he always had this kind of uh, experimental side, the long um, talked about and unheard Carnival of Light track, which is, like I believe, from the Sgt. Pepper um, sessions, is uh, supposed to be an incredibly highly experimental uh, track and, and Paul, like one of Paul's, you know, brain children as it goes. So I, I feel like McCartney too was, you know, Paul being experimental with this new electronic music and seeing what he can make. And, and as a result, you know, it's not going to be one of his most uh, standout or um, approachable albums. Right. Um, right. I, I think McCartney one was a lot more, um, I mean, McCartney one's kind of experimental too mm-hmm. in its own way. I mean, uh, a lot of the songs sound incomplete. They're sparse. Right. Um, you, don't, you don't get too many uh, short instrumentals like on other albums like you do on McCartney one. Right. Exactly. Um, they're not, you know, they're not studio produced tracks. Some of them you can hear, you know, someone putting dishes in the sink, doors creaking shut. Right. Um and and some of the songs are, are are kind of little like yeah like patchworks, little pieces. And I mean, um, I mean you have uh, two versions of junk on that song. <laughs> the vocal ver on that album. I mean you have the vocal version and you have the instrumental version. Um, you know you have Karina Kore, which is you know I know ranks high in the in the best Paul tracks ever. Um, <laughs> top five. Top five. But you know, it's very it, it's it's very expen- experimental stuff. I think it's more accessible because it just sounds like someone, like if you were sitting around, kind of like Beach Boys Party. If you were just right. sitting around the living room and someone had a guitar, or you know, there was a little band there and they were just kind of jamming, and you got to hear it at a party or a get together. That's what it feels like, which is more accessible than like, you know, your friend being like, "Come over and I'll show you what I can do with my synthesizer and sure. my temporary secretary song." <laughs> And all that sets the stage for McCartney three. Um, so it's a significant album. Whenever Paul releases an album, it's significant because it's not an everyday thing. Uh, before we get to the tracks, this album came out in multiple configurations, a million different colored vinyl, CDs, cassettes, digitally, of course. I'll tell you that I got the CD from Target. So that's an exclusive. Uh, and on a side note, when I did, I did curbside pickup to get the CD and they gave me a complimentary bag of Ghirardelli chocolate chips, which was really very nice. That's nice. Uh, McCartney and chocolate chips. That's perfect. Um, and I got the vinyl edition from Newberry Comics, the store up in Massachusetts, I guess, uh, the pink color okay. vinyl. What formats did you get it in? Um, so I got it um, on iTunes digitally. So I have that version. Um, and then I have my, 
my vinyl copy as well. There it is. Um, which I got from Amazon. It's it's the you know, the white dice yeah. version. Um, so yeah, I I am big on vinyl and uh, had to get it in vinyl format. Um, and it's cool just because I love being able to look at. You know, it's one of the things that I I, I kind of dislike about the whole iTunes thing is. You don't get all the all the artwork that you could look through and see, and you know, yeah. it helps make comparisons too because I feel like the packaging is very reminiscent of McCartney one. It is, and one of the things that somebody pointed out, which I hadn't thought of, is that on the back cover of McCartney one, a very young, I guess she was a baby then, Mary McCartney is in Paul's jacket, jacket. and now mm-hmm. she's taking the photographs for this album. Yeah, pretty remarkable. It is. She's a fantastic photographer. Paul looks she fantastic really in these uh, photos here. Just, just he does. Fantastic. You know, there's some great photos too on the uh, on the inner gatefold as well. Yeah. Um, reminiscent of kind of the collage that was in the gatefold of McCartney one. Um, but uh, you get to see Paul now and looking youthful, and you know he's still got it. And I think that's a great opportunity to now, when you say he's still got it. Let's get into the tracks on the album. And then what I would propose, if it works for you, is to just go track by track. It's not that long an album. So uh, I thought we'd go through each track, say what, uh, and we'll alternate. Maybe first one you talk about first, and then I'll go. And, you know, we'll switch back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, sound good to you, my friend? Sounds good. All right. So the opening track, which I'll ask you to say a few words about, is Long-Tailed Winter Bird. Go ahead. So it's a, it's it's basically for for all intents and purposes an instrumental track um really you know paul starting on acoustic guitar it's a very catchy little line love it um i like it a lot um uh, before you know the drums and the other instrumentation kicks in there there's some sparse vocal in it um but all in all it's, it's it's a really solid mccartney instrumental um, to me, it feels like what maybe we would have heard if he took a little bit more time on uh, instrumentals like Valentine's Day or Hot as Sun that was on McCartney One right. and actually um, spent some t- some more time with it in the studio. Um, I feel like Long-Tailed Winter Bird feels kind of, when I listen to it, like it might have been the genesis for this project because it kind of sounds like, you know, um, something that would come from someone just kind of you know, being stuck inside and just sitting down with a guitar and noodling around and then finding right. this riff and then building up on it. Yeah, um, it's, it's a good point, Dan. I hadn't thought of that, but you could certainly see McCartney at home playing around on his guitar, coming up with, you know, that's the melody. And uh, it's just like, a, I, I could picture him sitting him on a couch to see him play that melody and mm-hmm. goes from there. Exactly. Um, one of the things I like about this track is even though the lyrics are very few, they actually, I, I think he may have been inspired by what's going on now in 2020 because he says things like, do you miss me? Do you need me? Like stuff like that. And that kind of captures this whole isolation and staying at home. And does it, does that make sense, Dan, that he would have uh, been thinking of the quarantine situation? Um, it does. I mean, I don't know if, if it was uh, purposeful, you know, sometimes things come out, um, you know, in the in the moment, and then you look back at it, and you're like, okay, well, it's probably where it came from. Right. Um, but I think it definitely does send a message, um, and it does feel like it's very much of the time. 
Yes, I agree. And the only other thing I would add about this track is it does go from acoustic intro, the drums then kick in. It go it gets into a groove that is an expansion of that initial acoustic sound. And I just think the track flows really well. It's one of my top tracks on the album. Um, and when we had gotten a preview of it when the trailer for the album came out, we had heard right. that guitar riff. But when I hit, so what I did when the album came out, I was lying in my bed with good headphones on. Midnight came and I started streaming the album. And when that opening guitar riff kicked in, it just felt right. It's like, okay, here we go. This is a good start to the album. I like it as an opener. It's a solid opening track. Definitely. Definitely a solid opening track. Then we go on to the next song, Find My Way. Now, this is the first single from McCartney 3. There's a music video that came out on the day the album was released, which shows Paul playing in the song in the studio and singing along. Um, it, I, I, it's a good track. I don't like it as much as Longtail Winter Bird. There certainly have been other singles from Paul's solo albums that I am a bigger fan of, but I do like this. It uh, The lyrics are okay. You know, nothing groundbreaking. Melodically, it's strong. Instrumentally, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the song Fine Line from Chaos and Crazy. I, I was, was going to say the same exact thing. I was going to say the same exact thing. Yeah, it's and that was track. No, that was the opening track. That was, on that that was the opening track. That was the yes. opening track. Uh, so it, it's a good song. What I My favorite part of this track is the, uh, I guess it's like a fake ending where you think the song has ended. He hits a guitar chord which is kind of a higher guitar chord or higher chord than what he was playing before. And you think the song's over and then it comes back in for a finale, which I think is pretty cool. Solid track, not amazing, uh, but I like it. Vocally, it's not one of his stronger performances on the album, but it's okay. What's your take on Find My Way? Um, I, I was feeling the same thing that you said about it reminding, as soon as I heard it, it reminded me of Fine Line. And um, I kind of had this, I was thinking about how it's, it's almost like the um, the cookie cutter cut the cookie cutter single from right. like the, the the last group of Paul albums. So um, you had you know fine line from uh, from um, chaos on creation. Um, you had uh, I mean we had dance tonight from memory almost full, but also um, what was it ever present ever past? present past yeah ever present past. Um, so it's a very similar sounding songs. So I feel like there, it's almost, there's like a formula there. Um, not, I mean, it's, it's not, there's, there's an exception to every rule. I feel like new was very different sounding as a single. And a lot of the singles from that album were, you know, kind of, uh, I would say, dare to say a fresher sound in a way. Um, right. I could see that. Right. Um, and even with, you know, Egypt Station. But um, this feels very, very reminiscent of, you know, not just um, a fine line, but, but chaos and creation as well, which um, I, I heard people say, you know, when it came out that it was, you know, theoretically McCartney three, um, because he, for the most part, he recorded all the, uh, the instrumentation on it. But, you know, what makes it not a part of the McCartney trilogy that we have now is um, for it to be a you know, part of this group of albums, it has to be written, performed, and produced by Paul, uh, which Chaos right. and Creation was not produced by Paul. So it was not a, a full solo McCartney project. And that, my friend, is why you're here on the show talking about the <laughs> album. It's, it's, it's facts like that. 
but you're right. I, I agree with everything you've said. It's certainly not a bad track. It's not one of my favorites, but as with most things that Paul releases, I don't dislike it. That's for sure. Uh, I think that's just, that's just like a Paul Beatles trend. Like even the, the, the quote unquote worst stuff isn't that bad right. you know, for the most part. Paul solo wise, we have maybe some exceptions to that. We could go <laughs> onto an album and be like, well, what about this track? And sure. Like, well, you know, well, that track aside, you know, that track aside, everything else is pretty good. If you, <laughs> right. if you take, you take out California, I actually won. <laughs> <laughs> um, next song, Pretty Boys. Now this song, uh, Dan, it, it's your turn to talk about it first, but uh, go ahead. Tell us what you think of Pretty Boys. Uh, Describe it for our listeners. You know, there's these uh, groups of songs on this album where I feel like just the the, the mood of them, uh, it almost like sounds like a um, a curtain call or like an ovoir in a way, um, kind of melancholic, um, a little whimsical, mm-hmm. a little wistful. Um, and you can hear kind of the age in Paul's voice. And uh-huh. I think this is the first song on the album where um, I noticed that, you know, the next track too, women and wise was another one where, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of pick up that this is now, um, does he still sound great? He sounds tremendous for 78 years old. Totally true. Uh, but it's, a, but it's an older voice. Um, and I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things there's a couple of tracks on, on, on the uh, album that, you know, I don't, you don't like to think of it, but it, it almost feels like maybe in a way this could be like the, uh, the revolver of the McCartney catalog. You know, this could be the uh, end of an era in a way where revolver saw the, the Beatles retiring from the uh, live performances just to be a studio band. And um, maybe this could be, a message that you know soon that Paul will be retiring from from studio work. So um, it's sad to think about, but it's just a feeling I got from just the that was the first song that kind of started it for me. And it's is it be am I correct in saying it's because you could hear the age in his voice combined with the instrumental acoustic feel of the song? Is it all that together? It's it's, it's the age of his voice combined with the the, the mood that the instrumentation. And um, the style of the song. Puts, another puts another thing about this track that I think goes with what you're saying just there is that Paul has said in interviews that the lyrics of this song deal with male models who are being photographed by professional photographers, and he had in his he's referenced the photographer David Bailey when talking about this track. Now, I actually was not familiar with who David Bailey was, but he was a and he's alive. He's a photographer that has taking pictures of some legendary figures, including, I believe, the Beatles. Um, and so it is sort of a look back on that aspect of Paul's life and career, um, mm-hmm. being a celebrity constantly being photographed and so forth. Uh, I could see what you say, but in terms of the song itself, um, as McCartney acoustic ballads go, especially in recent years, do you is it one of your top acoustic ballads or not so much? Um. I think it would have to rank somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's like a, a, a phenomenal um, standout acoustic ballad. I'm with you. Uh, 
but uh, it's definitely you know it, it it's pretty good um i enjoy it um it's not something that would rank like as like a, a throwaway you know it's Later. not wild honey pie wild honey pie is uh i think my least favorite beatles song <laughs> not including revolution nine but um there's a track later on in McCartney three, another acoustic track. When we get to it, I'm going to ask you which one you like more pretty boys or, or that song, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes, but uh, I'm with you on everything you've said about pretty boys. Uh, next up is the song women and wives. Uh, for me, I know some people love this song. I don't love it. I'll be honest with you. It, it ranks for me on the bottom half of my McCartney three analysis where things stand right now. Um, I've heard some one person say it has a yacht rock feel to it. Um, I don't. Maybe I could see that, but it's not what sticks out to me right away. It's a very piano-driven ballad. His voice is showing its age, but I think it works well on this particular track. Uh, and lyrically, he's basically. I mean, there's a lyric in there. What we do with our lives is, is what matters to others. I mean, I'm 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 still learning the album, yeah. so it's, it's fresh in my so mind. So am I. So. But um, I guess the reason it's not a standout track for me is because, can I be honest and say I find it a, a tad boring at, at parts? It's not. I can, yeah. I can see that. I mean, it's not a standout track for me either. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, you know, dare I call it a, a filler track. Not that I would skip past it, but it, it, it's, you know, not, it's not, you know, to me, a track that you're going to you're going to rave about if you're listening to uh, the album all the, you know, on a regular basis and you're skipping around, you might skip past it. Right. Uh, so I have to agree with you on that. Yeah. With you. It's like when it comes to listening to any artist albums, including Paul's, there are times where I want to hear the whole album and I'll go track by track and it's great. It's so much fun. But then there are other times where I'll just go to an album and want to pick out those top two to three songs, which I just want to hear in that moment. Women and Wives would not be one of those songs from McCartney right. 3. That's basically what exactly. I'm saying. Exactly. Exactly. I agree 100%. Now, next up, we have a song I'm very curious to hear your reaction on, Lavatory Lil. Tell our listeners about that track. Um, it, it's just, well, you know, it feels like it's a uh, distant relative to Polythene Pam. Albeit longer, <laughs> and Paul penned rather than John penned. Um, it sounds like a really fun English bar song, you know that kind of call and response. And um, but uh, you know, again, not something that's going to be a standout track. Um, not something that you're going to hold up as like an example of the genius of of, of McCartney. Mm. But it's a fun track. It's a rocker. Right. Um, you know, I, 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 I like it. You know, it, it's, uh, it's good for, uh, it's entertaining. It's and, got a great uh, guitar riff. It's got a great guitar riff. Yes. Yeah. And it's fun to sing along to. to fun the, to sing know. along to. As a fan of horror movies, I like the lyrics because it paints the picture of a very dangerous woman. The lyric video matches up with that, by the way. That's available on Paul's YouTube I, channel. I have to check out the lyric video. Yeah, you would like that. I, I agree with your analysis completely. When I first heard it, I actually thought to myself, this is my favorite track on the album. It is no longer my favorite track on the album, but I like it a lot. It's just not, not my favorite. Um, 
I've heard one person who I trust his opinion on this say that he wishes it were longer. So you add another minute to the song, maybe that would complete it more. But one of the great things about Paul and the Beatles is sometimes they release these fragmented tracks and they just work well being cut off where they're cut off, like Her Majesty, to take one example. I love the fact that it's extremely short. When Laboratory Lil ends, yeah, I want more, but I'm like, you know what? That was that was a fun time. That was that was a fun time. That's maybe the best way to describe yeah, it. I think that's an excellent way to describe it. And 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 you're right. You know, sometimes we hear these little snippets of songs, and you know, with the Beatles, I think it really started on the White Album. Those little those little snippets, right? Uh, and you might be like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if we heard more of it. It'd probably be great. But sometimes just that little taste is all you need. Like, you know, do we really need six more verses? Why don't we do it in the road? Probably not. <laughs> no. I think we're good with what we have. Now, next up, Dan, we have a song. The name of the song is Deep, Deep Feeling. And oh, before- did, we, did, we skip, did we skip Sliding? I have Sliding as track seven. Deep, Deep Feeling is track oh, six. See? Oh, wait, I on the sliding. vinyl, by the way, is, 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 are those two reversed? Yes. Yes. He pointed out. Track yeah, six and deep, deep feeling is that's the I'm looking at the vinyl. You're looking at the vinyl. That's different than in other formats. Maybe it deals because deep, deep feeling is an eight minute track. So maybe it dealt with spacing and where it would fit. You're probably yeah. exactly right. Should we take deep, deep feeling as the next song to talk about them? Let's talk about deep, deep okay. feeling. Yep. So I had heard uh, this guy whose YouTube name is Mean Mr. Mayo. He has a very successful Beatles YouTube channel. He, uh, was giving his take on the album. And he said this song was his least favorite song. This is before I heard it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So going into listening to it, I, I did not expect to like it. I tend not to like songs that would go on for eight minutes long. But I got to tell you, this is probably my second favorite track on the album, Deep, Deep Feeling. It is, I don't even really know how to describe it except that from an instrumental perspective, he works with a lot of different sounds. It has to me at times a little bit of a psychedelic swinging sound. I don't know if you've picked that up in the arrangements Um, that ultimately ends up with Paul strumming an acoustic guitar towards the end of the track, which I've heard a lot of people say is among their favorite moments on McCartney three. The other than me, Mr. Mayo, I have seen generally positive response to this track. Uh, I think his voice sounds spectacular here. It's very strong. Um, it talks, it, in essence, it's a song about when you're caught up in feelings of strong emotion, whatever it may be. And um, it, it's, it's really tough to describe. There is one part of the song I don't like. It's kind of towards the end. It's the way he phrases the certain words. At that point, I think to myself, uh, this could have been cut out and we can maybe be at a seven minute track. Uh, but I, I really love this song. It's surprising. It's got a groove and uh, I'm a fan. Dan, what's your take on it? Um, I really like Deep Deep Feeling too. Um, I tend to like longer tracks if they're not too, they don't get too dull. Um, right. So uh, that wasn't a turnoff for me at all. Um, there was something about the drums that really got me into the track initially. And it reminded me of... Uh, another self-titled album that was the third, uh, third self-titled of his, of his type, but as uh, Peter Gabriel's third solo album, mm. which was self-titled. There's a track at the very, the first track, opening track of the album is called Intruder. And- um, Can you say that again, Dan? What's the name of the track? Intruder. Intruder, okay. Yep. And uh, Phil Collins plays on the album, plays drums on that track. And he was instructed by um, Peter Gabriel 
not to play any cymbals. They didn't want any cymbals played at all throughout the song. And, uh, and so, you know, having to play without cymbals, he came up with this really, um, almost, almost like you said, like a psychedelic kind of drum pattern, uh, almost reminiscent to like a tomorrow never knows kind of thing. And the drums on Deep Deep Feeling reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just very kind of this repetitive pattern. Right. I didn't hear, you don't hear too much cymbal. There's a little hi-hat in there, but not a lot of cymbal play. And right. then it feels like everything else, all these other sounds are kind of layered on top of that. Right. Um, sounds move into the track, sounds move out of the track. It's just, there's, it's, to me, I find it very artistic. Um, and I, I'm a fan of it. I like that track. I like the way you describe it as artistic. And at the same time, I would just add it's access- artistic yet accessible. Sometimes things can yes. be artistic, but not accessible here. And I love the way you describe also this layering on of the instruments, particularly when the piano chord comes in. There's not a lot of piano playing going on there, but it just adds a level, a level of complexity to the track where it builds up and builds up. Um, I am a fan of this track. And Despite what others have, some others have said, it does seem like I mentioned a second ago to be a, a fan favorite. Um, that's not, uh, oh, let me ask you: Do you agree with me on his vocal? Does it seem particularly strong for him? It does. Yes, it does seem very strong. I think it's probably one of the strongest vocal performances on the album. I'm with you. We find agreement on much of this album, Dan. We do. We do. Um, next track, Sliding. Go ahead, my friend. So I mean, it's a uh, it's it's a solid rocker. Yeah. Um, I think this is uh, maybe the first time in the album where we get to hear Paul's full range because he gets kind of hot in, up into his like higher uh, rocker rocker voice a little bit. Yes. Um, I think it's about. I think it's, to me, it's. I, I mean could be argued with but i kind of feel like maybe this should have been the first single that's my opinion you want to put out kind of a rocker track good, sounds good a little point. different that, some, that's just that's just me some people have said that this song does not fit the mccartney aesthetic because it does feature some of his backing group from you know rusty anderson is on there and Abe oriel jr and i think brian ray is on there maybe wicks okay. But, but to me, I'm not going to get caught up in that. I, I, I actually, um, I guess one thing where I would differ with you on for the first time, it doesn't occur to me to be a single. It, it's not okay. as poppy as, a, as um, Find My Way, for example, if that's what he's going for with the first single. Right. Um, let me ask you a question. Just going into some recent Paul solo, even though Driving Rain is not too recent, does the sound of sliding remind you of the sound of About You from Driving Rain? Um, you know, now that you say it a little bit, Mm -hmm. I can see, I can see that. I can see definitely drawing that, that connection. It is a heavy track though. It shows he could rock at 78. It does. It does. Well, you know, people forget that he can rock. (laughs) You know, they still think he Uh, writes silly love songs, which is by the way, a great song, but he's, that's, that's all they think he writes. Well, he was, he was the wistful beetle, you know, he wasn't the edgy one. You know, he was the cute one that wrote these like, you know, ballads and stuff like that. And then when you when people will argue that and you point out that Paul wrote Helter Skelter, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's uh oh, I don't know. I thought that was, you know, people that don't know the Beatles be like, Oh, I thought that was John. Now that was 
that, that was Paul. Right. You know? It gets me angry when people criticize Paul for being just this poppy beetle that can't write. It shows they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. It really does. Um, but Sliding is a good song. I, it's definitely one of the, I guess it's one of the standout tracks. I would mm-hmm. say top half of the album in terms of uh, you, rankings. Definitely. And you know, it reminded me of, um, you're going to, you know, it doesn't sound like the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, and people have criticized that it doesn't fit the, the, the that McCartney formula because it does include the other um, members of his band. It sounds a little bit, maybe a little bit more produced. Right. But uh, but McCartney won. That that was maybe I'm amazed. You, I mean, and sure, that was just him on it. But you listen to it in the context of the rest of the record. Right. And it doesn't sound like it's just one person and it sounds a lot more produced than anything else on that record. I mean, if you told someone that that was cut by the Beatles and Abbey Road, they probably wouldn't argue with you. Absolutely. That could be from any period of his, when he's in Abbey Road studios working on a track, mm-hmm. it would fit perfectly. Um, very good. I'm with you on sliding. Yeah. Now we go on to, the Kiss of Venus. Now, this is the song that I referenced earlier, the other acoustic type track on the album, which is him on acoustic, Paul on acoustic guitar. His voice is, you know, weathered and so forth. So I want to ask you this question. Acoustically, uh, the question is, what track do you prefer more? Pretty Boys or The Kiss of Venus? The Kiss of Venus. Me too. Yeah. Why, and why? I mean, I don't, I, I, I think it's, um, I like the lyrics. More. Yes. I would say I find the lyrics um, more accessible to me. Um, and, and I just think it's an, overall it's a stronger song. I think it's a stronger song lyrically, a stronger song musically. Yes. Um, I think it ranks higher in the uh, his catalog of acoustic ballads. I'm with you. And before we started talking about this track, I was quickly trying to find the story that inspired the Kiss of Venus because it, I thought it was really cool. It deals with, it's something that he had read in a book, I think, talking about the actual placement of Venus in the sky. There's some story there when, and I, I feel bad that I couldn't find it, but when you know what the meaning behind the lyrics are, it enhances your appreciation of the track. Um, it's a very pretty song. It shows that at 78, he could still hit a high note pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people, by the way, Dan, have said that because Paul hasn't toured recently, that's enabled his voice to sort of get stronger from where it was at. It's because a lot of people were complaining about his voice being worn down from all of the touring. There may be some legitimacy to that position because I think I, I agree with that. I think being off the road for a while has enabled his voice to uh, improve in its, um, in its timber, I guess. Is that the right, uh, am I saying that correctly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. But in uh, kiss of Venus, I think uh, works well. It's a very pretty song. Um, good, solid track. Top half of the album for me in terms of ranking. Uh, I do like it. And you're a fan of it, Dan? I'm a fan of it as well. Yeah, I think as far as um, it's one of my top tracks, especially as far as the the more acoustic um, ballads of the album go. Right. Um, It's definitely up there. Very good. And now we go on to a track I really wanted your opinion on, which is Seize the Day. Go ahead. Um. Based on that pause, I have a feeling we may be in agreement on this, by the way. I feel like it's it's maybe not the 
the, like the strongest track on the album, mm-hmm. but I feel, I feel the message of it is important for <laughs> where we are right now. Right. Uh, I feel like it, it's probably like the, the message song of you got to look at where we are and you have to take advantage of every day you have. I am with you a hundred percent. It is a message song and I like the message. People have said it's the most beatly song on the album. Paul himself has said that. And I think because it's got other people have said there's a lady Madonna type piano bounce in part of the song. I will tell you that this track I think is my least favorite on the album because while I love the message, I find it kind of boring for a part of the song where he's uh, doing this jaunty piano stuff. I think it sounds really good. That's where the Bailey part comes in, but the melody that accompanies the key word, key phrase, which is seize the day to me is very, I mean, seize the day. That's it. And it's, I think it's, I don't think it's particularly strong. I mean, I think that melodically it's just not up to par with the other tracks on McCartney three. I'm not saying it's a bad song. I could never write seize the day. I could try it and I would feel miserably, but it's just not up to not, not at the same level as the other songs. Although it's gotten a lot of praise. I think other people think it's their favorite song on their, on the album. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's not a bad song. Right. Um, I, I don't dislike it. I enjoy it. Um, when I look, when I listen to it in, a, in in the car, it's like you're my, it's a mind wandering song. It's like the song that you're, you're into it for like a little bit and then you start to like think about other things and maybe pay attention to the road. Uh, <laughs> you know what? You the way that's perfect. The way you summed it up there, that's exactly the way I feel. It's like, oh, he's still singing "Seize the Day." <laughs> yeah, he's uh, you know, it's like listening to jazz in the car. You know, <laughs> right? You're in it for a little bit, and then it's like. All right. Speaking of jazz, are you going to be watching the Disney Pixar movie Soul on Christmas Day? I'm I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it looks it looks like a cool movie. Total detour <laughs> from the discussion, but you mentioned jazz, and I think the music focuses on. Um, seize the anything else to say about Seize the Day? I think we I think we 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 said all there is to say. I mean, you know. I'm with you. And this is this is why it's cool to talk about stuff like this and you know to have different opinions on you know these these albums and these sure. songs. Yeah. And by the way, you know there's ne- McCartney is such an amazing artist that somebody could come in and say, "Yeah, Seize the Day is my favorite song on the album." I'm not going to agree with that for my track and I, and and based on our conversation tonight, I know you're not going to agree, but okay. That's your favorite track. There is, there are legitimate reasons why someone would have it as their favorite track. Just like if mm-hmm. I say the Haunted Mansion is my favorite attraction at the Magic Kingdom, and someone says, "Well, I love the Haunted Mansion, but I like Splash Mountain." Okay, yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. kind of like McCartney. Everything has merit and and meaning. Um, track ten, deep down, to me, another one of my favorite songs on the album. And what I love about this track is it's not complicated. The lyrics are quite simple. I love the way he brings in the horns on the track. McCartney has a great ability to incorporate a horn sound on the track, going back to Got to Get You Into My Life on Revolver with the Beatles. Um, it, it, it brings in a little bit of a jazzy feel, kind of like this 80s power ballad feel to a certain degree, if I'm, if I'm being 
reading a lot into it. And uh, I'm just a fan of it. There's not much else I could say about it other than that. I really like it because of the instrumentation on the track, not the lyrics, but the instrumentation. I, I, I described it, and I think it's because of the horns. I described it as wingsy, and I think it's because of the, of the horn section. Right. I, I think about um, a lot of band on the run and, you know, Jet and, um, and uh, yeah. you know, tracks where you had that horn section that, that he had. Um, and I don't think it had a name. I, I know the, the, the one guy that he played saxophone was Howie Casey. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, they're all over Wings Over America. They, they went out live with them. Um, they're on, oh, I was just listening to it on the way home from work today. Uh, Call Me Back Again on right. Venus and Mars. Uh, you know, he used a lot of horns in that mid-Wings era. And uh, the horns in, in, in Deep Deep Down kind of reminded me of that. It's, are they the same? No, but it just struck that chord with me. It's a great point. And even though I mentioned a second ago about the, how McCartney uses horns, in my mind, I hadn't thought of Band on the Run. And yet, uh, towards the end of the album, on 1985, when the horns kick in, right, it's very much is a deep down horn sound. That's a great... Uh, thank mm -hmm. you for mentioning that, Dan, because that's a great yeah. comparison. That little connector between the intro of... Um, Band on the Run, and right. the main body of the song has that that little horn tag in it too. Yes, and that's just it. That's what it conjured up for me. I went back to that, and then that um, Band on the Run, Venus and Mars, at the speed of sound, right, Wings Over America. Period. For me, there's like there's that horn section there, and of course, on Silly Love Songs. Speaking of speed of sound, and you know, there's of course yes, on Silly Love Songs. On that note, Dan, we head to the final track on the album. And I, I'm so excited to talk to you about this track, which is uh, it's called Winter Bird When Winter Comes. Now, this song, if I'm correct about this, I, I, I don't want to be wrong. It's it was recorded back in the Flaming Pie days. Right. George Martin was a producer on the track. It's not. Um, I think you're right. I have to. Yeah, I think that might be correct. Um... Because there's an animated film that. Paul just released that accompanies this track. And from what I understand, he was working on that animated film at the beginning of this whole McCartney three process. And that was one of the things that led into his making the album. But uh, mm -hmm. let, let, let me just quickly uh, try to get, cause this, this confuses me too. And I, I often forget this. Yeah. I actually just, just checked it out. And this mm -hmm. song um, was recorded. On September 3rd, 1992, in the wow. same session that produced Calico Skies and Great Day. George wow. Martin at the mixing desk. What a day that was. <laughs> right? Tell me about I'd like to have a day. At, I'd like to have a day at work like that. And this is no offense to you because I'm in the same category as you. We will never have a day, a day at work, at work day, yeah. that will be as productive as that day was for Paul. That's like with Dolly Parton. She wrote Jolene and I will always love you in one night. Right. Is that the story? Is that That's the story? Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. Anyhow, uh, what are your thoughts on, on this final track on McCartney three? I like that it bookends the album with that, the, in, that winter bird introduction. Um, Correct. I really enjoy that. And, um, you know, this feels goes back to kind of what I was saying when we were talking about Pretty Boys. This feels like a uh, an au revoir, like a like a retirement kind of song. Um, I, even though it's twenty eight years old, um, it just just listening to the lyrics and you know Paul singing about needing to 
um, you know, dig a drain for the carrot patch, um, you know, mend the fence where the, the foxes are showing up. Um, it just kind of really sounds like him almost saying, you know, he's going to settle down for like, you know, the quiet life mm-hmm. on the farm. Right. Uh, and, and at the same time, it's tough because you, you know, that, that you, we've had that theme of like this simple farm life come up in his work, you know, going back to Ram and heart of the country and, um, you know, things of that nature. So it's not foreign territory. Um, it sounds, um, happily familiar, but at the same time, I think paired with the sound of the music, it's got that melancholy feel to it and almost that wi- that wistful feel. Mm. Um, so there's a little sadness when I listen to it. Uh, where does it rank for you on the album in terms of your favorite tracks? You know, it's, it's probably, it's pretty high up there. Yeah. I would say it's pretty high up there. I, I will tell you, it is my favorite track on the album. And I agree with everything you have just said. Uh, and I certainly uh, immediately thought of the comparisons to a track like Heart of the Country and so forth. I think it even goes back to a Mother Nature, Son, Blackbird type deal of Paul on acoustic guitar singing about nature. The lyrics, they re- for the first time I heard this song, it took me by surprise because they are so straightforward about simple farm life needing to mm-hmm. fix a broken fence, need to tend to the carrot patch, right? Is what, I mean, yeah. he's just straight out telling you what he's going to be doing on his farm. It's like a musical experience of the living with the land attraction at Walt Disney World. <laughs> it's just straightforward. <laughs> but um, at the same time, I find this song melodically to be so beautiful that even simple lyrics that could be throwaway type lyrics they take on an emotional resonance because of that melody. I okay. This is the one song that I have humming in my head more than any other track of the album. Uh, I mentioned this animated film that accompanies the track. Check it out on YouTube. It's so beautiful. And when I watched that for the first time, I just kept singing the song in my head. And I thought to myself, you could take Mother Nature's Son off the White Album and put When Winter Comes on the album, and you wouldn't think twice about it, which is one, on a side note, one of the things I find so frustrating is that people criticize Paul's solo catalog, but quite frankly, if When Winter Comes was on the White Album, and he sang that in concert during the acoustic set, people would go nuts for it. It just shows, you know, Mm -hmm. Beatles versus non-Beatles. It's a side note, uh, a tangent. But um, I just find the song to be so beautiful, um, and it hits you. It's a perfect closing track, and it shows the beauty of domesticity and just uh, it's such a wonderful i mean i I, i'm kind of emotional talking about it because it's just it kind of sums up so much of what we love about paul his ability to write a melody that that hits you and just sing about stuff that is so relatable it's it's such a i think it's such a beautiful track i mean i think i i agree with you 100 percent, and i think that's a great way to kind of sum up the entire album mm-hmm. i mean to me and i've listened to it you know i'm still learning it in a way but i've listened to it a, a number of times right and it um to me it's kind of a great overview of um paul as an artist you know you see the experimental side you see the gifted pop songwriter um who could craft these catchy melodies 
Um, But you also see the artist who, despite his uh, critiques, is capable of writing deep lyrics that connect with people on an emotional level that maybe you have to dig a little bit deep into to find the meaning of. Um, That people might find a couple of lines that they hold on to and it it, it means something to them and it gets them through a hard time or a certain situation. Um, I think the album covers all those bases. And um, it's something that you could you could take. Um, and if someone were to you know be telling you about how you know Paul McCartney stinks and he's just a you know he was the lame beetle and he just wrote these trite pop records, you could give them something like this and be like, well, well listen to this, right? Yeah, with band on the run on top of it because you know sure. that's my thing. Whenever anyone talks about how you know Paul was like the lame beetle. Um, like, well, first of all, you're, you're totally forgetting about Ringo, um, <laughs> who's solo wise, you know, uh, but, um, if you look at all the Beatles solo albums, I mean, I don't think John or George, um, definitely not Ringo put together an album in their solo career that you could listen to front to back, like you can in Abbey Road. Um, and you can do that with, um, with Band on the Run. And you could do that with Flaming Pie. You could do that with this album. You know, Paul has a number of albums that you can listen to front to back and be entirely um, content, if not thrilled with the experience. What you just said, Dan, is something I'd have to think about because I'm in my mind now, I'm going through John's solo albums and I love them. But mm-hmm. even there, like for example, Plastic Ono Band, I love that album, but um, I found out is on that album, right? Yes. A song I'm not crazy about. So like you talk about Paul and his albums being something you could listen to front to back. I could listen to Plastic Ono Band front to back. I certainly do many times, but that track to me, it's kind of like I'm anxious for it to end, to be honest with well, you. Well, you know, um, Plastic Ono Band, it's a great album. Um, it's one of my top John albums, um, but you're sitting through someone's primal thing primal scream therapy session right and after a while it gets taxing emotionally on you too because it's so fair and 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 just in your face and paint like you can hear you can hear his pain through a lot of that album for sure and after a while it gets like all right <laughs> just gotta kind of move on and um where you know i i think you look at a lot of paul's catalog i'm sure we can come up with five albums off the top of our head uh, in Paul's catalog that we can sit to and listen to front to back. No problem. Easily. And without a doubt. I mean, uh, this one, this one is definitely on my list. Uh, Let me ask you, Dan, um, because now we we finished talking about the tracks. I don't want to ask you to rank the album, but uh, just overall impressions. Great. Good. It's certainly not bad. I I, I know you're not going to say it's bad. Where, I mean, where do you, how do you sum it up? I mean, I think it's pretty great, mm-hmm. in my opinion. I, I think it's 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 in the upper echelon of, of Paul's work, in my opinion. That's uh, great to hear. You know, and I think I think he's had a pretty good run since um, you know the mid two thousands. Definitely, uh, you know, I feel like we had Flaming Pie, which was a great album. Um, Driving Rain, I felt was a little. Weakest part but of the period you're talking right, about, right? This period, but starting with chaos and creation till now, 
I, I think we've been, you know, blessed with a lot of awesome work from, from Paul. I agree with you. I mean, may, maybe your praise is a little higher than I would give it at this point, but I, I, I fundamentally agree with you. I, it's an album that, out of all of the albums that I've listened to recently in 2020, and you know me, I'm going to praise the great Taylor Swift because Folklore and Evermore, you know, two solid albums. McCartney, I want to listen to McCartney 3 more than any of those over and over again. Um, I, I haven't stopped playing it since it came out, basically. And uh, I've read a lot of commentary about the album. I think it was the writer from The Ringer who wrote an interesting article about McCartney 3, and he was complimentary of the album, but he said something I disagree with, which is, and, and I think this is where it was, Don't I'm not 100% sure, but he basically said that as good as McCartney 3 may be, you're probably not going to listen to it. You're going to go to the other McCartney albums first. And I really disagree with that because if you're a fan of McCartney and you love these albums, like we've been talking about, sometimes you're in the mood for a particular McCartney album, just like sometimes you're in the mood for magical mystery tour or please, please me or with the Beatles and let it be or the white album, whatever. Um, it, it's, it's accessible. And I just, I, I definitely think has re-listenability to it. Oh, without a doubt. I think if you were to rank the trilogy, mm, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I think for me it would be three, one, two. Wow. Okay, groundbreaking moment here because you are the first person I have heard put it number one in the trilogy. I have heard one, three, two, but I've never heard three, one, two. Yeah, that's just me personally. I would put three, one, two. So let me ask you a question: Why do you rank it higher than McCartney one? I think because um, there's less. Um, I feel like there's less filler tracks on it. Okay. There's I no Krina like There's no Krina There's no Krina I feel like it's a more cohesive statement artistically. Okay. Um, I feel like there's a theme that runs through it. I like the book ending at, of, of Long-Tailed Winter Bird at the beginning and then the Winter Bird introduction to When Winter Comes at the end. Um, I feel like it's a more satisfying artistic statement. Love that analysis. One of the things that just occurred to me would be really interesting to do would be on a streaming service to create a McCartney playlist where you take your top tracks from one, top from two, and top from three, and you put it on there. Um, that would be something interesting and worth uh, worth doing. Um, okay. And your statement, that means a lot then because McCartney one does have maybe I'm amazed and every night and these really tremendous songs. Um can't wait to listen to it now, having heard everything you have said <laughs> about it. Mm -hmm. uh, Dan, before we wrap up and get to the Stuff We Love segment, let, let me conclude with this question. Uh, as we sit here, and the date is December 23rd, 2020, and this has been a tough year for the world, and uh, you and I are both now 40 years old. What does Paul mean to you? I mean, for you in particular, because... Uh, our listeners know this, but you are a music fan. You listen to everything. You, it's great that you don't limit yourself to genres or art. You, you love it all. You love music. And for you, now, I'm not asking you about the biz, but Paul in particular, what does he mean to you? Let's see. Um, that's, that's a tough question. <laughs> because, yeah. I mean, just all, all in all, um, the Beatles and, and, um, you know, mean a whole lot uh, to me. And, um, but Paul, 
I, I think when I, I first really got into the Beatles and I kind of fancied myself a, um, you know, a John fan, you know, if people were to say who was my, my, my favorite out of the, the four, I would say John. Um, as I think I've, uh, you know, matured and especially in, um, from a musical standpoint, um, you know, kind of continuing to play and growing as a musician and getting into songwriting and stuff like that. Uh, Paul kind of became, um, you know, the, the, the member that I would look to, you know, kind of for that artistic inspiration. And I, and I feel he's, he's, you know, kind of to me shows you what a well-rounded artist looks like. Um, and also, I mean, just in awe of his ability to be able to put together an album like this where he plays all the instruments on it. Mm. Um, but there's so many songs and so many moments from, you know, Paul Records and, and um, that accompanied different times in, in, in our lives, you know, um, that maybe got us through some of those times. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about our experience with Flaming Pie and uh, things that were happening uh, at that time around us, you know, with what we were experiencing in high school and, you know, losing a friend um, at that time, which we experienced. Um, I mean, after 9-11, you know, Paul's music was something that, that for me um, was constantly on, especially after the concert for New York and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and just listening to Paul, not just what he was putting out at that time, but then going back into his, um, his catalog, you know, got me through that. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's music gets you through good times, gets you through bad times. And it's really one of those things like it's a, it's, um, a, a source of comfort. Yes. I Would you say that out of any individual musical artist in music history, he's the one that has had the most impact on your life? Individual, not talking band or anything, just individual. I, I would say so, yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I mean, I, I, your, your sentiments about Paul are very similar to mine. There's, there's not much I would add. I, his impact is tremendous. And uh, like you said, it's a voice of comfort. That's really a good way of summing it up. It's it's a reassuring voice every time you hear it, even on something like Wonderful Christmas Time. And this is one of the things yeah. I said on that holiday episode. When his voice kicks in, simply it's just so good. And yeah, I mean his uh, and his songwriting abilities. It's just astounding that um, at seventy eight he still has these melodies coming out. It's it's just beautiful. It really is. Yes. Um, Last music question of the night for you, taking a, a step back from, from Sir Paul. Uh, what else have you been listening to recently? I always like to find this out from you. Uh, I've been listening to, to Springsteen. Ah, uh, the newest album? Uh, the newest album and then the old stuff as well, going back into some of the old stuff. Which um, albums in particular? Um, always, you know, I always go back to Born to Run and, um, and Darkness on the Edge of Town. Um, the river the river's great and uh and actually um the rising too great album yeah. one of my favorite springsteen albums very powerful mm -hmm. and uh 
tremendous songs. Uh, that's good to know. I'll, I'll revisit some Springsteen too. Now you've, you've inspired me, but um, anyhow, this has been great talking to you about McCartney three. It's a great gift for the holidays. And uh, if you're a fan of Paul, you're going to really like it. And if you're looking to discover something new, we highly recommend it. So uh, that my friend is McCartney three. I'm glad we were able to have this discussion on the podcast. Me too. And with that, we're going to turn now to the Stuff We Love segment. This is the part of the show where tonight Dan and I are going to be giving you a recommendation on top of McCartney 3 and the Springsteen catalog that we are enjoying right now. And uh, Dan, I'll ask you to go ahead first tonight. What is your Stuff We Love recommendation this evening? Uh, So my Stuff We Love recommendation this evening is a documentary. Um, It is currently on Hulu. It's called Once We Were Brothers, and it chronicles the career of the band from the, the, the perspective of Robbie Robertson, um, which is interesting because uh, there's, you know, since the band um, broke up or, Rob, or Robbie Robertson left the band, however you want to look at it, in uh, the mid 70s after the last waltz, mm-hmm. uh, we've had a book by Levon Helm, um, which talked about the history of the band and their departure from one another from his perspective. Uh, but the, this documentary follows Robbie Robertson's perspective uh, based on his book, which he released a few years ago, which I believe was called Testify. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's an excellent, um, excellent documentary. Uh, some really excellent music throughout it. It chronicles their career from backing Ronnie Hawkins um, and as the Hawks in the, uh, the, the early, late 50s, early 60s. Um, to backing Bob Dylan, to becoming, um, you know, an act of their own, uh, to their breakup, uh, the last waltz, their separation. Um, talks a little bit about Robbie Robertson's solo career, but then also discusses um, the relationship that they shared, uh, the five of them together, um, the ups and downs and um, and all of that. So it's an incredible, incredible documentary. And when you mentioned it's told from the perspective of Robbie Robertson, that rang a bell to me. This is a recent release. Did this come out this year or last year? Last year. Yeah. Last year. Okay. I didn't know it's on Hulu. That's good. I'm going to watch yeah. that. That that's really yeah. good. I believe it's. I believe it's on Hulu. I think that's where I watched it. Right. Yep. I'm familiar with their greatest hits and the work they did on the last waltz. I'm not too familiar with much of the individual tracks beyond that, but uh, I feel like it's something I should explore. Yeah. And um, if you're going to explore the band, yes, uh, the first three albums are where I would point you first. So music from Big Pink, um, self-titled album from 69, and Stage Fright are really the the, the three to start with. Um, And you'll just get a a good overview of um, what they were at their height as a group. Well, that's a great recommendation, Dan. Thank you. I'm going to check that out. My Stuff We Love recommendation tonight is a podcast featuring a former guest on the Stuff We Love podcast, The name of this podcast is Take the Next Step with Ryan Sterling. It is a podcast in which Ryan um, has a series of guests on where each guest has experienced a personal growth journey. For example, in the first episode of the podcast, which I listened to not too long ago, uh, it featured a guest who had lost a significant amount of weight. And other people have experienced very similar uh, inspirational journeys. And one of the things I, I love about the podcast is listening to Ryan. He, he's, he, he's a natural host. He does a tremendous job. If you listen to him on the Stuff We Love podcast, you would have noticed that from the start. And uh, 
his personality carries through to the podcast where he it's kind of, I, I would describe it a little bit like uh, fresh air in a way, the NPR podcast, just good conversation. And in this case, it's stuff that will leave the listener inspired. Ryan is also a uh, best-selling author and he's going to be a guest on the stuff. We love podcast. We're going to have him back on in 2021. So that is my stuff. We love recommendation. You could find that on podcast services everywhere. That's take the next step with Ryan Sterling and uh, Dan. This has been great. This, as I mentioned at the beginning, is the final episode of the Stuff We Love podcast for 2020. Um, happy holidays. Happy New Year. You too. And uh, how many times will you be listening to McCartney 3 in that week between Christmas and New Year's? <laughs> a whole lot. Uh, it'll be on uh, my turntable. Um, and it'll be on in the car. <laughs> so uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, listening to uh, McCartney 3. That sounds like a good week to me. I, I think so. You could play Seize the Day when the clock strikes midnight. <laughs> That's a good song to play. Well, Dan, to conclude tonight, first off, I'm going to mention where our listeners can find the podcast. And then I'm going to wrap up 2020 by giving you, I love to do this, you know this, a five-question McCartney lightning round. No explanations, just answers, okay? Okay, all right. I was not planning on doing this, but I'm having such a good time, I want to do it. So first off, let me tell our listeners. You can find the Stuff We Love Podcast on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. We are on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. You can write to us, Stuff We Love Podcast at gmail.com. Our website is Stuff We Love Podcast.podbean.com. And um, we wish all of you a very happy and healthy 2021. Be safe and uh, wear a mask and uh, all that stuff. So, to, uh, on that note, are you ready, Dan? McCartney Lightning. I'm going to think of these questions off the top of my head. Okay. Better track on flowers in the dirt, distractions or my brave face? Um, distractions. Right answer. That's a great answer. I love that too. I agree with that. Um, better album, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard or Ram? That's really difficult, Scott. I have to go with Ram, honestly. Okay. Very good. I, I really like Ram. I really like Ram. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's kind of to me a step up from McCartney one. Right. It's got some great songs on it. Um, love just I mean, Backstreet of My Car alone is <laughs> worth the listen of that album. Great analysis. Great. I would have said chaos and creation, but when you mentioned that about backseat of my car, that kind of got me thinking of, thinking it over. Mm-hmm. Question number three. Best Better, better live performance of Live and Let Die from a Paul solo album. I'm going to give you the Paul is Live version from 1993 tour or the uh, Rings Over America version. I think it's the Paul is Live version. Agreed. Agreed. Question number four. Um, better Paul solo track. Maybe I'm amazed... Or I got to find a good one to line this up against. Band on the run, even though that's a wings track. It's not, you know, I'm going to look at lump that together. Yeah. It's band on the run. Band on the run. Okay, good. And to the last question, and I'm going to work McCartney three into this better Paul track. When winter comes was that, was that winter love? What, what, winter bird when winter comes. Right. Or. Acoustic version of Bluebird from Wings Over America. Um, winter Bird, When Winter Comes. Wow. And on that note, in that unbelievable answer, 
we are going to conclude tonight's episode. Dan, thanks for being here as always. Thank you so much, Scott. It's always a good time. Um, looking forward to the new year and yes, many more episodes. Totally with you, my man. Good stuff. Thanks, everyone. We'll go around the table. I'm Scott. I'm Dan. And this has been the Stuff We Love podcast.